0: To another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Welcome back. Do you remember when you were a kid and you'd skin your knee riding the bike? No, just me. I'm the only one who ever fell. All right, cool. So for those of you out there who don't have any idea what I'm talking about, because I'm sure, wink, wink, it never happened to you. Sometimes. when you would fall, your parents would say something along the lines of, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And that's the phrase that a lot of us clumsy people heard over the course of our childhoods. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Maybe you didn't make the cut for the school basketball team because you just weren't athletic enough. I wouldn't know anything about that. Maybe you didn't win the spelling bee. Definitely wouldn't know anything about that, but through it all, you would hear your parents say to you, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Maybe it wasn't your parents. Maybe it was your teacher. Maybe it was your coach. Maybe it was an instructor or a tutor of some sort, but we're all familiar with the phrase. You know, I'm not sure what the life was like for Brandon Bean growing up with his mother and father, Bob and Cindy. But I can almost guarantee you that they said that to their son, Brandon, on more than a few occasions because he believes in it when it comes to the Bills defensive line. I mentioned to you a couple times on this podcast that the Bills have made significant investments and turnover in the Bills defensive line. And I wanted to kind of expound on that thought a little bit. So there's two main things I want to get to today. The first one is this point. The second one is going to be a little chat about backup quarterbacks, and then we're going to try to get to emails and see how we do. But let's dive in to the first point. When he arrived after the draft in 2017, Brandon Bean looked at a Buffalo defensive line and said, okay, what do I have to work with? Shaq Lawson, Kyle Williams, Adolphus Washington, Jerry Hughes, Eddie Yarbrough, cap cappy ryan davis ricky hatley and then Bean made his only addition cedric thornton now let's fast forward to 2018 the biggest signing of bean's first free agency was defensive tackle star latula five years 50 million dollars trent murphy was a big ticket pass rush signing in hopes that he could reclaim his previous form after the injury that he suffered in Washington. Owa Adigizuwa came over from the Giants. Tenny Palapoy signed a one-year deal. When you look at dollars spent, it wasn't even close between defensive line additions and the remainder of the roster. So that year, the starters on the defensive line were Murphy, Kyle Williams, Star and Jerry Hughes. And then you had Mike Love, Jordan Phillips, Harrison Phillips, Eddie Yarbrough, Shaq Lawson. 56% of the Buffalo Bills defensive line got turned over from 2017 to 2018. In 2019, the turnover continued, even though the free agency focus was on the offensive side of the ball. Ed Oliver was the number nine overall pick out of Houston. Daryl Johnson was picked in the seventh round. Corey Legit and Vince Taylor were brought in. So 33% of the defensive line room in 2019 was new faces, including the first pick of the draft for the Buffalo Bills. In 2020, after an offseason that was highlighted by the trade for former Vikings wide receiver Stephon Diggs, Brandon Bean spent his first draft pick yet again on a defensive lineman. He picked Iowa's A.J. Epinesa at 54 overall. But even before that pick was made, they added Quentin Jefferson, Vernon Butler, and Justin Zimmer to the defensive tackle room, and Mario Addison as an edge rusher brought in from Carolina. After the dust settled, 50% of the defensive line room was new faces. But wait, there's more. In 2021, there was a continued focus on both investment and turnover. The first two Bills draft picks were edge rushers. Gregory Rousseau, Boogie Basham. FA Obata was added in free agency. Overall, Bills experienced 30% turnover in the defensive line room again. 30% of the people were new faces. Now, the final rosters for 2022 are not yet set. The draft picks have yet to be announced. But we shouldn't be surprised that the largest... Brandon Bean, unrestricted free agent signing since he's been here, was a defensive lineman. And that was former Rams pass rusher Von Miller. The previous largest contract given by Bean to an unrestricted free agent was Mitch Morse. Then Starla Tulley. Then Mario Addison. Then John Brown. Then Trent Murphy. So of the top six largest unrestricted free agent contracts in terms of average annual value of the top six four of them are defensive linemen there's a running theme since brandon bean took over investment and turnover investment and turnover high picks keep happening big signings keep happening because if at first you don't succeed try try again we're gonna take a quick break we're gonna come back we got more stuff to talk about stick with me we'll be right back Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We elaborated a little bit on the Brandon Bean keeps turning over and keeps investing significant resources in the defensive line concept. Because we talked on it, we touched on it a little bit, but it was time to really dive into it. But now we're going to talk about something else, and that is the Bills trading a seventh-round pick for backup quarterback Case Keenum from the Cleveland Browns. Before this happened, I had something I was going to say about backup quarterback. But now that it's happened, guess what? I'm going to say the same thing. Because philosophies don't change based on things like that. If you have one philosophy before the move, and you have a completely different philosophy after the move, congratulations, you're a hypocrite, not a philosopher. But I have a philosophy about backup quarterbacks, Because I think it's really important that the Bills made this maneuver. And I'll tell you why. The response immediately when you say backup quarterback needs to be a priority is somebody will say, well, if Josh goes down, we're screwed anyway. What does it matter? It's the Tom Moore philosophy. Former Colts offensive coach Tom Moore famously said one time that if Peyton Manning goes down, we're bleeped. And we don't practice bleeped. End quote. Now, he didn't say bleeped. I did that for your benefit because this is a PG-rated podcast. But Tom Moore had that philosophy. Yeah, we're screwed anyway. What does it matter? And you know what? I can get on board with that theory if Josh Allen goes down week two and misses the entire year. Probably not a Super Bowl team. Magical Nick Foles is magical for a reason. There's a reason why that's such a tremendous story. It's because it doesn't really happen. Very often. So, yes, the likelihood is that if Josh Allen goes down week two with an ACL tear, that the season is probably screwed. But that's not why you have a backup quarterback. It's not about missing the season, it's about missing four games. Because one game can be the difference between making the playoffs and not, winning the division title or not, getting the one seed or not, or advancing in the playoffs or not. What if the Bills lock up a playoff spot, and then Josh Allen sprains an ankle, and he's out for two weeks, and the second of those weeks is the wild card game, and the Buffalo Bills have to play in it? Are you going to be grateful you have a quarterback at that point who can get you through one game? Because that's the difference between going home and going on. It's the difference between moving into a different phase of the offseason and moving on to the playoffs. It matters. It absolutely, 100% matters. There are people out there who think that quarterbacks are so important that they will assign the entire win to them. Wins and losses are not a quarterback stat, but there are people out there who believe that they're so important that you can assign a win to them, but also not so important That you need to care who the backup is. There are people out there who will get mad at Sean McDermott for, quote unquote, wasting a year of Josh Allen's prime by making bad coaching decisions in the playoffs. But in the same breath, will not hesitate to potentially flush an entire season because Josh sprained an ankle. I don't understand how those two things can coexist. It is a paradox. You cannot be so worried about the fragility of the wins and losses and then not be worried about the most important player on the field who you're willing to assign the entire W and L to when he's out for a couple games. Football is a great sport because of every game mattering. There are plenty of sports out there where you can miss two, three, four weeks at a time And it doesn't really matter. There are certain games, certain sports, where individual games don't even matter as much as trends. Well, we just need to get a winning streak going here. Because the individual games have lost so much importance because there's so many of them that really it's about stacking wins together in long streaks. But every single year in the NFL, we see the game and the season and the fate of a team hinge on one game i don't understand how we can simultaneously see that and not value a backup quarterback that is completely foreign to me everything we know about football the reason why football is even important and popular to begin with is because of supply and demand there isn't enough of it we went to 17 games nobody got sick of it i still think 16 games is a better season i think it's better for the players We went to the 17th game, and we were still watching the Colts absolutely choke away their opportunity at a playoff spot. One game. One game. So if one game matters that much, we probably shouldn't leave it in the hands of Matt Barkley. Matt Barkley, perfectly reasonable. Quarterback three. Hope he never has to touch the ball. Brick class in case of emergency. Knows the system. About as good of a QB three as you can ask for. But I don't want to be a sprained ankle away from Matt Barkley playing for four games. And that's why the Case Keenum trade is something I'm good with. I felt markedly better last year when Mitchell Trubisky was around because I knew that I had someone who I think could be reasonably competent. And it's important. Backup quarterbacks matter. And for a lot of times, we need to question whether or not Our disdain for investing in the backup quarterback position is really intellectually compatible with some of our other philosophies on football. Going to the emails, Nathan says, hey, Bruce, while winning is not a QB stat in the eyes of the chosen, do you ascribe to the idea that it is a stat or metric when some teams negotiate contracts with quarterbacks, not just contracts, but trade compensation? I believe that it is, right or wrong, considered a stat by some GMs and NFL decision makers, and therefore determines QB contracts. More than other stats? More than athleticism or potential? For some, I believe it likely does. I'll take your comments off the air. Thank you. Go Bills. Nathan. Yes, absolutely I agree with you. Number one, coaches and GMs, plenty of them, plenty of old schools specifically, think that wins and losses are quarterback stat. Well, he's a winner. right? It's going to take probably another two generations of coaches and football guys to go through to not think that anymore. Because there are some people who still believe that running the ball and stopping the run correlates the most significantly with victory. I know one of them. He's in Seattle. Pete Carroll still believes this. Running the ball, stopping the run. He pulled out a stat. Well, when we run the ball X amount of times, and we have X amount of completions, I think we win. Complete the ball, doesn't matter how far, just complete the ball and rush the ball. That's that's the key. So yeah, I agree with you. I absolutely think they're front office people, and I think there are other individuals in the NFL who truly believe that. Philip says, good morning, Bruce. Just a quick email saying thanks for the great podcast and Twitter work that you do. Not only are you informing and entertaining, you're the voice of reason. You make sure Bill's Mafia keeps a level head when things are not going perfect. One last thing. I've been asking you on Twitter for a list of beat writers to follow. I heard the message loud and clear on the pod. Having looked around at other franchises will make the grass look much greener over here. If you could make a poster sticky on Twitter, that would be awesome. Thank you, Bruce, and happy free agency. I don't know if I'll do it on Twitter or not, but I'll tell you right now. The first place to start is the Twitter account called at 32beatwriters. That's at 32beatwriters. Follow them on Twitter. They follow all 32 teams beatwriters, so you don't have to. That's the purpose of that account. Start there, and then if you see beatwriters you find interesting from other teams, go ahead and follow them individually. That is the best advice I could possibly give you. It will absolutely enrich your fandom. Nate says, first thing, The first three rounds of the Bills draft seem to be pointing to cornerback, interior offense flyman, and wide receiver in any order. And there are many factors as to what order they might be in. However, if we take these three positions as a consensus draft targets for the first two days, my hypothetical question is, if Brandon Bean were to double dip on only one of those position groups, which one do you think would cause him to do so? For me, it's corner. For the purposes of this exercise, let's say it's back-to-back or a bang-bang. If he did, which position? Okay, so I agree with you because there are numbers issues there. I wouldn't be surprised to see him do it at wide receiver. But if I were a betting man, I wouldn't be shocked if cornerback was second and third. I would be happy if it was second and third. But logically, if ever there was going to be a year to do it, this would be the year to do it. Because they've made significant investments pretty much else everywhere else on the roster. So, on one hand, I'm like, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. On the other hand, I thought it made sense last year. <laughs> I thought it made sense the year before that, too. So I keep saying, nope, nope, this is the year. This is the one. And you know what's great about this? What's so great is that when the Bills pick a corner at, like, 25, my mentions on Twitter are going to light up like a Christmas tree because Bills Mafia is going to be like, Bruce, we're so happy for you. And it's just, it's just great. I mean, you guys, yeah, you guys are amazing. So that's fantastic. David says... In my opinion, we need to bring in a starting level corner to cover until Trey returns to provide depth. I heard someplace that you're big on cornerbacks, so I'll assume you agree. On the podcast, people talk about acquiring one either through the draft or free agency. In the past, Bean could be counted on to bring in a free agent so he can pick the most attractive players in the draft. And there is, as I understand it, plenty of time for a cornerback at that level. Am I correct in thinking that even with Von Miller, there will be money for a free agent at that level? No, there's money for a free agent. There's not money for a significant starting level corner. They're pretty much all gone. Stephon Gilmore's out there. I don't know how Bean would go about getting a contract of that sort under the cap. So for me, I think you could get like a Bryce Callahan. One year, four million, one year, $5 million. That's about it. I think that's all you're going to get which is one of the reasons why I think maybe you might go double dip. You might see second and third round quarters. I'd love to see first and second, but you know, it is what it is. Andy says, hey, Bruce, I sent you a take right after Saran Neal was re-signed where I pontificated the Bills would attempt more three-man rush plays and put Neal out there as an extra defensive back. Fast forward, Von Miller's a Buffalo Bill. I've heard lots of chatter about he was primarily a 3-4 base guy, whereas the Bills defense is 3-4. So based on this, I have a follow-up take. The presence of Von Miller on the roster shows a notable commitment by the Bills to work more eight-man dropbacks into the defensive scheme and makes Saran Neal's not likely to be earned money a lot more likely. Love the pod. You rule, Andy. I think having the ability to get there with three is something that matters quite a bit. And we saw that in the Bengals-Chiefs AFC Championship game. If you can rush three and get there at a even slightly reasonable amount of time, it's a huge deal. So I don't think Von Miller, from a stylistic standpoint, means the Bills are going to go more three-man rush. I think just from effectiveness standpoint, I think you might see more three-man rushes from the Buffalo Bills for that reason. So that's my take on Von Miller. That's my take on the emails. We actually got out of here a little bit earlier than usual, folks. So sorry for the shorter podcast on one hand, kind of not sorry because it's nine 30 at night and I get to have a little bit of time back with my wife. So I'm happy about that. And if you're not happy about that, I got nothing to say to you, except that's the way the cookie grumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumble.